Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Those familiar words from the opening stanza of Amazing Grace makes someone want to break out into song, don't they? Even if you can't carry a tune, it's hard not to hear the sound of that hymn playing in your head because it's so immensely popular and widely used that I have no doubt you've heard it. So I can count on the fact that you know the hymn, but how much do you know about its author, John Newton? John Newton was an English poet born in London and ultimately an Anglican clergyman. Yet his road to get there was quite rocky. His mother had wanted him to become a clergyman, but she died of tuberculosis when he was six. His father was a shipping merchant and was often at sea, and so he was left to be raised by his emotionally distant stepmother. He was sent to boarding school, and he was mistreated there. At the age of 11, he joined his father on a ship as an apprentice. As a sailor, he denounced his faith and was headstrong and disobedient. His disobedience led him to being pressed into service in the Royal Navy, but he took advantage of the opportunity to overstay his leave. And on one occasion, he deserted to visit a young lady, a family friend with whom he had fallen in love. After enduring humiliation for deserting the Navy, he was traded as crew to a slave ship and began a career in slave trading. He openly mocked the captain by creating obscene poems and songs about him, which became so popular that the crew began to join in. His disagreements with his fellow crew were so substantial that he almost starved to death, was imprisoned while at sea, and chained like the slaves they carried. In fact, he himself was enslaved and forced to work on a plantation in the British colony of Sierra Leone. While aboard the ship Greyhound, Newton gained notoriety as being one of the most profane men the captain had ever met. There's a reason that we have the phrase to curse like a sailor, but Newton took it to a new level and was admonished several times for not only using the worst words the captain had ever heard, but creating new ones to exceed the limits of verbal debauchery. In March 1748, while the Greyhound was in the North Atlantic, a violent storm came upon the ship. The storm, the sea swept across the deck taking a crew member overboard who was standing where Newton had been moments before. After hours of emptying water from the ship and expecting it to capsize, Newton and another of his mates tied themselves to the ship's pump to keep from being washed overboard. And after proposing this solution to the captain, Newton turned and said, if this will not do, then Lord have mercy upon us. Newton rested briefly and went to the deck to steer the boat for 11 hours and at the wheel he began to ponder about God. About two weeks later, the battered ship landed in Ireland. For several weeks before the storm, he had been reading a book titled The Christian's Pattern, 
a summary of the imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And the memory of his own desperate utterance, Lord, have mercy upon him, upon us, did not leave him. He began to ask if he was worthy of God's mercy and whether he could be redeemed. He came to believe that God sent him a profound message that day and had started to work through him. However, his conversion was not immediate. He wished to marry that young lady, Polly, and began, though, to submit to authority for her sake, because otherwise her parents were not going to let him marry her. He was able to free himself from all immorality except his swearing, as he did, and he also continued to work on ships. A severe illness strengthened his resolve, though, to, to become clean, and he ultimately married Polly, and at the age of 30, he collapsed from an illness and never sailed again. He worked then as a customs agent and began to teach himself Latin, Greek, and theology. He and his wife, Polly, immersed themselves in the church community, and others suggested that he become a priest. He was initially turned down as he didn't have a university degree, but he wrote about his conversion story, and that story so impressed an English earl that the earl sponsored his ordination. He was assigned to Olney, a village of about 2,500 residents whose main industry was handmade lace. Most of the residents were poor and illiterate. His preaching was unique for the time because he shared many of his own personal experiences from the pulpit. He was involved in the lives of his parishioners and was much loved. He said his mission was to break a hard heart and to heal a broken heart. John Newton spoke from the heart when he penned those words, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And the good news is that if you're lost, God wants to find you too. If you're blind, he wants you to see. The problem is that we, like John Newton, spend too much of our lives holding ourselves back or letting others hold us back. We won't accept God's healing that only requires us to ask. In today's gospel, we hear about the healing of a blind man. What's most remarkable about this story, at least to me, is not that Jesus heals the man. We all know by this point that Jesus is quite capable of healing people of any of their various ailments. The first remarkable aspect is the tenacity with which this blind man seeks out Jesus, crying all the more when the crowd tries to get him to quiet down. He has a certain disobedience like John Newton, but he directs his disobedience to finding God rather than running away from him. We could spend some time unpacking that, but for now, suffice it to say that we should not forget that Jesus came not to bring peace, but a sword, and that we will have to be disobedient to this world if we hope to truly find him. The second, and I think the most remarkable thing, is that Jesus asked the blind man what he wants. Jesus is omniscient, yet he asked this man what he wants. Why? Because as we've talked many times here at the Advent, the one power that God has given up is to provide us with our free will. God doesn't just heal him without asking him, even though he knows what he wants. In fact, there's still a chance that the man, the blind man, will decide he wants to stay the way he's been all his life. Just like the Israelites in the desert, 
who grumbled against Moses, saying, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. John Newton could have uttered, Lord, have mercy in the face of the storm, but turned back into an immoral and cussing sailor. And that contrast is not only implied in our gospel reading today, but is on direct display with the disciples. The gospel opens with Jesus telling the disciples that they are heading to Jerusalem and that he, Jesus, is going to be treated poorly, killed, and rise from the dead. And then it says, quote, they understood none of these things, and the saying was hidden from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken, end quote. In the story, the disciples are the ones who are blind but remain unable to see. They are unwilling to accept things the way they are. We know that when Jesus explains this to his disciples in St. Matthew's Gospel, that Peter corners him and rebukes him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that, my beloved brothers and sisters, is our Lord's calling to us today as we sit on the precipice of another Lenten season, as we begin another journey up to Jerusalem, walking with our Lord to his passion, death, and resurrection. Will we be the ones trying to hold him back? I can assure you, like Peter, he'll simply say, get behind me, Satan, and carry on without us. Will we be offended by what he says? Or will we decide that maybe what God promises really isn't as good as what we had back in Egypt, even if it means being enslaved? Will we choose the chains of the world? Will we choose harsh taskmasters over a loving Lord? What are your chains? What are your taskmasters? It seems insane to keep picking them over the promised land, but that's the Bible story, and that's the story of all of our lives. But this Lent is your chance to follow our Lord instead of returning to Egypt today. I pray that you will take this Lenten season seriously, fasting, praying more, and showing increased love and charity to yourself and to your neighbor. Lent is a journey, but it's also a test for us. Will we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, or will we deny him and desert him? Will we go to the promised land flowing with milk and honey? Or would we rather be back under our usual taskmasters, filling our bellies with bread, even though we would be slaves? Today you have a choice. You can remain blind, you can remain enslaved, or you can spend this Lent with a tenacious disobedience, like that blind man outside of Jericho. You can break free from your chains of slavery and death, and you can receive your sight. Today is the day to start that journey. There is no better time than this Lent to break free and finally enter into the heavenly kingdom. Jesus is standing there asking, what do you want me to do for you? How will you respond?
Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.